Greetings, fellow wanderers in the fourth dimension, and welcome to a bumper size episode of The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. My name is Emma Foster, and joining me as always is Mr. Mike Mould. How are you, sir? Hello. Hello. And our very, very special guest joining us for this review of the last three episodes of uh, season nine, Mr. Rick Tetro. Hello, sir. Hi, folks. Okay. I haven't got so... to say that in so long. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so as I as I said before, uh, due to uh, a poorly laptop, um, we didn't manage to face the Raven in time. So this is going to be a a fairly longish, I'd imagine, episode uh, where we review the last three uh, stories of series nine. So mm. I think we better make a start with face the Raven, I guess. So what did you think, gents? Oh, uh, wow! Um, it's one of those ones where it's like you know how the how it's going to end mm-hmm. but it still nails you oh yeah agree i have purposely avoided any real press uh including sadly and that well actually now i can listen to it your your uh your preview season preview show okay uh, so going into it the only thing i knew was that this was this was jenna louise coleman's last season uh but i didn't even realize that we were on the, the last three episodes of the season this was a short one wasn't it or did it just go by fast? Went fast. It was 12 yeah. episodes. Wow, really? Damn. Yeah. I guess when it's good, it's just, it doesn't feel like it's lasting very long at all, does it? Um, well, I think a lot of that's due to they, a lot of them are two-parters. So effectively, when you think about it, it's, it's we've only had like four or five actual stories. Yeah, good point. Good point. I didn't think of it that way. Um, but but anyway, yeah, I you know, it's funny. This one and uh, and uh, Heaven Sent are are almost opposite for me. In in and I'll wait till we get past Heaven Sent to explain what I mean. But I the the first like two thirds of Face the Raven was just wasn't you know certainly not bad by any stretch, but it was kind of standard Doctor Who fare. But that last fifteen minutes. <laughs> Just reaches up into your rib cage and grabs your still beating heart and tears it out and holds it right in your face. Uh, and yeah, it was amazing. Mm. I'll say, I think it was um, for me. It, it fundamentally it was quite brave to to sort of go at it, go at the Clara exit that early because traditionally it would be the last bit of the last episode essentially. Mm. So to to do it in episode 10 where you've still got two more to go i thought was a really interesting decision yeah well that's why i sent i you know i sent you some feedback about that because my wife and i were talking about it after the episode was over or, or we're not worried about spoilers are we no oh, okay okay because we you know we we neither of us had any idea what was coming up and so i just looked at her and i said if they bring clara back it's going to crap all over that amazing performance she just gave Mm. And my wife went, yep. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, because I was thinking, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go on, carry on, carry on, please. Yeah. Well, I, I was just thinking that exactly what you just said. It's like we're, we're, we're not at the end of the, it's not the last episode of the last, you know, of the end of the series. So either they pulled a fast one and they're killing her off now, or there's a big reset button at the end of the next episode. At the time, I didn't realize it was a three-parter. And so I was just... On the one hand, going, wow, I was so ready for Clara to leave, and now I'm freaking crying. I mean, because what, what is sort of what I was saying to uh, Chuck, I was when we, because we were sitting having a cup of tea and we were talking about it as well. And 
I've been listening to a lot of wrestling podcasting lately, and <laughs> and I said to him, so there's a there's a handy bit of wrestling terminology in this. Is this a shoot or is it a work? Right. So in in wrestling terminology a shoot is in in the storyline it's like it's something that like it that you have a character in wrestling so like the rock or stone cold steve austin they will give an interview or do a bit on the show which is real life it's not anything to do with the storyline or their character so that's a shoot however Mm -hmm. if it's a work it's something that it's within their character but appears to be going off the script to generate drama so that's why i said to chuck so is this a shoot death or is this a work death Mm. And um, it kind of ended up being both. Yeah, mm. not not to jump too far ahead, but I well, yeah, never mind. I think I think we're going to have a little bit of a problem with that because it, actually, my computer committing suicide and not being able to record Face the Raven when we intended to actually kind mm. of worked out well because this ended up being like effectively a three-parter it, it, you know quite explicitly. Not even, the nearest we've come to that is the Utopia Sound of Drums triumvirate we had before um mm. so but this is this is much more a three-part than anything else we've ever had before yeah yeah so i mean something that um i'll just say that something you need to face the raven i did like having rigsy back yes. i like him too is there any chance he's being groomed for companionship i doubt it i doubt it. i think he might be um more of like a, a regular sort of supporting character maybe it's like kate or uh, osgood mm. but I, I i can't see him being a companion mm. somehow it's nice they've sort of given him more of a, a background now rather than just being this sort of juvenile delinquent which he was before it's sort of now he's got mm. a family and a kid you know it's sort of this this whole idea of again just this this passing encounter with the doctor and clara is kind of changing for the better which is nice yeah i mean i did enjoy having him back um but like i say i i don't see him being a companion. I think probably because he has, you know, a missus and a child. Now I don't. Yeah. I don't know if the if the production team would be willing to like make him a companion of him of that. You know, when he's got this these ties to Earth. Do you know what I mean? They, mm. Usually, the, the companions of the Doctor are usually like single and like pretty free spirited. Do you know what I mean? Or they've got like nothing. To tie them to Earth. Yeah. If you know what I mean. That is yeah. a tiny bit too much baggage, yeah. I think you're probably yeah. right there, yeah. So I thought his, his performance was great, though, and um, I did like this idea of them basically going to Diagon Alley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Um, well, I actually read something from Sally Dollar, the uh, writer, about that, and she said it wasn't... She, she was aware of Diagon Alley, and she I think she wrote it so it was, like, more sort of or alien and i think the production designer sort of went oh well it's kind of like diagon alley let's just do that actually you know but, what it made uh, me think of was um uh neverwhere neil gaiman's that's story. true as well yes mm. so i've also seen it compared to nightbreed Buckers nightbreed as well mm. little bit maybe i yeah, mean it's not something that i'm bit. super familiar with so i'm just going off what i've seen other people compare it to so mm-hmm um, so I did. I did like this whole. I mean, it's another one of these sort of great things that Moffat does with Who in uh, these little ideas that are sort of really interesting Doctor Who ways of looking at the world. Like this whole idea of trap streets, which again are real things that cartographers mm-hmm. put in maps to make sure no one's stealing their work. And 
you know, it's you know, to to be used as a, a sort of a little Doctor Who device, which I think might be Moffat's mm-hmm. greatest asset as the showrunner, is yeah. these little things he picks out of real life, which become so beautifully Doctor Who-y in his hands. Mm. Yeah, I did uh, like the Doctor's uh, line about when uh, Clara talks about the, the cartographers. He says, uh, my God, an entire street in London goes missing. You'd think it's uh, copyright infringement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so something that came up in this episode that I wanted to bring up with, I mean, obviously it ends up being her undoing ultimately, but mm-hmm. Clara's kind of, I don't want to say death wish, but, um, it, it, her, her sort of, uh, recklessness, so to speak, mm. um, something that was, was on the cards, but really came to the fore, obviously in this one, but was coming up more and more. Yeah, it's been building up through the season, mm. but I think it's it's here where it really goes off the rails, mm. you know, and she's sort of like dangling outside the TARDIS. I mean, it's not quite Day of the Doctor levels, but, you know, when she's whooping and uh, laughing and all that, and, Riggs, and even Riggsy sort of like brings over and says, that, that's not normal. And the Doctor <laughs> goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they that, that was one thing that kind of bothered me, is they were really ramping up, you know, Clara's recklessness or, or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I know that it's that, you know, that's kind of a Moffatism is to, to dangle something out there and then not really give you a payoff for it. But I really would have liked to have seen some sort of anything for it because when she, when, when it finally came down to, she was going to die. Well, yes, she was, she was like, look, don't, you know, don't do all of this stuff, but she was actually as upset as everybody else. She just, coped with it better than than i think anyone wanted mm. her well the doctor wanted her to but it really felt like she was trying to get herself killed and then when it finally was going to happen suddenly she did a 180 which felt a little weird i i had hoped there would be some sort of explanation or 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 you know i thought i wanted this but now i don't you know anything mm. So I think that I, I I said in in a previous podcast in that it sort of struck me it was more like Clara was kind of like these people who base jump or, you know, do it very extreme sports and things like that. It's um, and ultimately it cost her well it sort of at the time seemingly cost her her life. But um, I think it it what what was interesting to me was um, how much people do did or did not blame the doctor for it. I did see a few things online saying, oh, well, why didn't the Doctor take the chronolock from Clara? But when you think about Clara's character, she would not have let him. No, she wouldn't have. And um, um, also, I think I think it's it was sort of pretty much spelled out that once the chronolock gets shifted to someone else, like, that's it, you can't pass it on. Mm. So, uh, so I th- But it, I'm thinking more in terms of the, the lifestyle, essentially, that they lived. Mm. And, you know, it comes up quite a lot. Well, it comes up a few times, the doctor's duty of care, in inverted commas, to to Clara. Um, It was people more calling him out along the lines of, you let it go too far. You, her her behaviour, which was obviously obviously concerning you, went too far. Mm -hmm. And how much of that is on him and how much of that is on her. Yeah, but it's it's one of those sort of tricky things Mm. because he's, he's... kind of leading by example yeah do you know what i mean that that's kind of what clara's un- ultimate undoing is she's like we say it's been a recurring theme like throughout this series and the last one is she's becoming more like the doctor 
But of course, she isn't the doctor. She's not a time lord. She can't regenerate. So she's taking all these crazy risks and sort of like somehow she knows deep down that it might come back and bite her. But she has this sort of overconfidence mm. because like like she says to the doctor when she realizes she's screwed it up, she says, we can fix this. We always fix this. Yeah. And it's like, no, can't fix this. <laughs> you're boned yeah you're boned but it's it's a case of she she kind of when it, it's kind of one of those weird things that you you get in like in video games sometimes even that you think you know mm. it's my best sort of comparison that you think you know where where to go and you sort of skip two steps and then you get bitten on the bum for it that's exactly what happened mm. to her because you know you could see the doctor taking the chrono lock off Riggsy himself mm-hmm. so but clara being clara just jumped ahead and went for it too early you know she flew too close to the sun yes Mm. um but i agree with you rick that you know you you kind of wanted a little bit more of that in the previous episodes to kind of set this up it's sort of i agree that with you to a point that um it did feel like we went from kind of zero to 100 on that and then we had the comeuppance a little well that's that's kind of been the hallmark of clara since ever since uh, uh the impossible girl Ever mm. since she fulfilled her destiny, it, it's and that's one of the reasons why I've been wanting to see the character go is because it's one of the biggest problems that I've heard from uh, friends of mine uh, on Facebook is the doctor's devotion to Clara feels forced, and I think you know, and it and it came to the you know its ultimate conclusion or whatever uh, with the end of of uh, Hellbent. Um, yeah, ever, ever since, uh, Capaldi came on the scene, the relationship between Clara and the doctor has felt very, uh, well, actually ever since, uh, it was, we had this problem with Smith too, in that they tried to make Clara into Amy too, mm. with all of the, mm. all of the requisite devotion and emotional baggage, but they did it so quickly in like, what, three or four episodes, all of a sudden we've gone from the doctor not, you know, the new doctor not knowing her, him not knowing her to they're the best buds in the universe. And, you know, and it, it didn't really feel organic. It felt like, oh, we don't have Amy, but we need that dynamic. And so they they just suddenly launched Clara into being this this incredibly important character in his life. Uh, and it, it never felt right to me. Uh, it's yeah. been better this season. Uh, you know, and, and the, the two have been working much better together. But then we've also had this really weird behavior on the part of Clara where she is just going out there and, and you know, I, taking every risk she can and wanting to jump into every adventure she can, uh, you know. And I would, even if it was just a little bit of, okay, she watched the man she loved die and then become a Cyberman and then die again, um, and so she doesn't care about dying anymore. If they had played that off, it might have worked a little better. Mm. But instead, mm. it was just sort of this unmotivated, uh, I'm just going to be crazy and insane and do whatever I want, and, and who cares what happens. And, oh, by the way, I'm second in command of unit, too. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because we, we talked about this as well. Um, back, you know, I was like on episode. Um, uh, it, this sort of reflects some, some stuff that I've talked about uh, or that, that I've seen on Twitter as well, that it, especially Face the Raven, but as we went on as well through Heaven Sent and Hell Bent, it really it really depends on you having uh, that level of connection to Clara, which I think a lot of people didn't have. Mm, yeah. 
And um, I mean, it, it did get better with um, Heaven Sent because obviously it was the Solo Doctor episode mostly. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think that you're you're right. I think it's something again that we've brought up on the podcast a couple of times in that I couldn't exactly pinpoint to you what it is about the Clara the Clara character that doesn't like turn me on, so to speak. But it's they've been fighting this. They've been fighting that. I think since since she's been uh, since like you say since she fulfilled her destiny as the Impossible Girl, they've struggled with what to do with the character. And um, yeah, I I really think that they are betting that the fandom at large has much closer or much higher affection for her than I think a lot of people really have. Well, I think the the whole Impossible Girl thing, it's it's the sort of thing where it it should have been the end of her character. Mm. But they they sort of like play that card a little too early, and now it's like, oh crap! You know what do we yeah, do? No. And I suppose, and I think maybe it's also Jenna Coleman's decision to say with series nine mm. might have. I don't. I want. I don't want to say shot them in the foot because I love Jenna Coleman, and it's her business whether she stays or goes. But I think like when you just like see the the old Clara ending of Last Christmas. It's sort of like that feels like where it it should have ended, but then Jenna Coleman changed her mind and said, oh, "I want to I want to stay on." So I mean, I don't know how much this series would be different were it not for Jenna Coleman staying, but I think I think that's uh, yeah. I think she's. <sighs> I don't want to say she's been around too long, because that's that's a bit disingenuous because. Jenna Coleman's really given her all this series. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. But um, it's one of those things of it. It was almost too much of a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. It was like you know we felt like I think the consensus is that her story kind of finished, and we would have been fine with her going when we thought she was going to go. Mm-hmm. And but again, if you're the product, if you're the if you're Super Moffat production company, you've got a great actor in her, and mm. she's saying I want to stay, and it's like well we can keep her. And keep mm-hmm. some keep a known quantity essentially, or we have yeah. to go through the whole process trying to find someone else, build a relationship with this person, and then go in for a season finale. So um, yeah, I mean, I don't blame them for for sticking with her, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think probably it, it it meant that some of the impact that they thought it was having wasn't quite hitting with the fans, so to speak. Although, mm-hmm. mind you, I was say I, I have Twitter up all the time and. Um, in the aftermath of uh, of uh, the last episode, they were tweeting pictures of uh, um, selfies people have taken of you know being all distressed at the end of the uh, <laughs> all shell shocked at the end of the episode. So you know they're really selling that narrative. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, and and let me just clarify: I I have absolutely nothing but admiration for uh jenna louise coleman i think she has done a a fantastic job and none of what i said earlier had anything to do with her as an actor Mm -hmm. uh or as a person uh it just i just don't think the writers really knew what to do with the character anymore and i agree with you it would have been difficult you know this season would have been very different if it was you know relationship building again Mm. um and as as awesome as this season has been i have not sat there and it, it was you know the Capaldi's first season, yeah, I groused a lot about Clara. I was like, why is she still here? You know, this isn't – go away. Let's do something new. This season has been amazing with, you know, one slight misstep. And even that, 
only stands out as bad because everything else was so good. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, what was the Sleep No More? It wasn't a bad episode. It just was nowhere near as good as the rest of the season. So it seems worse than it was. Yeah. Um, I think that's why we're all I struggling just, with it so much, you know, that we, we're sort of stuck in this like, she's great. The episodes have been great. But this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. Uh, you know, it will be, I'm really looking forward to, and I know we're jumping way ahead now, but uh, I'm excited to see what Capaldi's going to do with someone when they can build the relationship organically. Mm. Mm. At least I hope that's what they do this time. I hope they don't do the same thing they did with Clara, which is, you know, don't make the next companion try to be Clara, just like they tried to make Clara be Amy. Yeah. Just Let's have a new story. Let's have a new relationship. Well, essentially, um, the, the Christmas episode notwithstanding, because like I say, the Christmas episodes are kind of this weird kind of story but not story yeah. thing. So, I mean, they're, they're kind of in their own little bubble to me. But essentially, the end of this episode, it, it was another soft reboot for the, st- for the, for the show because we've got mm-hmm. the Doctor on his own again um, and we've basically got a blank slate. So... Hopefully, like you say, Rick, I agree. I hope that they sort of, um, you know, after Christmas and uh, the the search begins once again, uh, if it hasn't already, for uh, for someone new to uh, to join him. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. I hope that they sort of, I'll, I'll be interested to see how um, that relationship builds. Okay, so um, the only, I was going to say something a bit stupid here, but um, the only other thing about the title of the episode... Uh, face the raven ages and ages and ages ago there was an episode of the simpsons where homer (laughs) homer gets uh they find that stone angel and homer has it in the garage and there's that stupid jingle here's the angel see the angel that thing and so all the way through my brain's going face the raven here's the raven (laughs) (laughs) sorry i tried to get that out because i've been thinking about it for three weeks right okay fair enough (laughs) So I was I was glad to see that they they used uh, a shield uh, quite a bit. Mm. Mm. Uh, you know I was I was kind of worried, you know, after the end of her her two parter, that it would be one of those things where you know they, we see her maybe once a season, uh, and I, I know you guys probably knew that that wasn't going to be the case, but um, really, I mean, I sort of went. Out, I mean, like you, I kind of stick my head in the sand a little bit once we get towards. Uh, once we get towards um, the sort of transmission dates. So I didn't realise she was in it as much as she was going to be. I really thought it would be a case of, oh, you know, we'll see her every other year or something. Yeah. Mm. I, I like, I love the character. I love the actor. Although it's funny, I, I had to admit something to my wife last night. When uh, when the first episode she was in, I, I forget the title of it. Um, Girl who died. Oh, right, right. Um, I thought that she had said that she was a shielder. And that was her position, not her name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then when they came back and they were calling her a shield, I was like, that's a name? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like the old, the old English kind of names, you know, like Ethel Wolf and things like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing that blows my mind about her is Maisie Williams is 18. Yeah. That She's that young? She's only 18. Yeah. yeah. Wow. She comes across so much. I mean, her maturity is like mm-hmm. unbelievable. Yeah, I always assumed she was like one of those actors who's really you know twenty nine, but looks like she's twelve kind of things. Mm. 
she's amazing then even even more so yeah so i think she's been a great boon to the series and um obviously the ending of uh of uh, heaven sent um you know clara and a shielder spin off anybody i i I, well i have a i have a theory about that um go on then so okay uh and i i didn't realize I was thinking along this way until I, I rewatched the episode last night. I think Ashilda was in love with Clara. Mm. Because when I when the first when the first episode, you know, at the end of the fir- uh, the first time I watched it through, um, and I made that quip on on Facebook to y'all about the the fanfic is just going to go insane. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what I didn't realize I was picking up on until I watched it the second time was it didn't feel like she was looking at Clara as just like a traveling companion or, oh, here's just another person in, you know, billions of years of people. She was looking at Clara with love and desire. And if you, it, and I, I didn't go back and check this. So if I'm wrong on this, then that may throw a little bit of a wrench into it. But she had, she, the two things she remembered without having to go back to her books were the doctor and Clara and the doctor was her adversary but she always mm. remembered Clara. Mm. Mm. Calling all shipping, calling all shipping. <laughs> <laughs> now, not that I think they would do anything with that, but, uh, you know, whereas the, the, the little pig 12-year-old in my brain was going, ah, the two of them in the TARDIS, yeah, the fanfic. Well, mind I, you, <laughs> dating Jane Austen, so. Well, yes. Yeah. So I, and I don't, and I don't know, I, I don't think Clara was, it would even be thinking in that direction at this point. Um, but watch it again and look at Ashilda's eyes when she's looking at Clara at the end and <laughs> tell me if I'm wrong or not. The only thing I would say is um, I, I wonder if part of that was getting to go in the TARDIS because she, or in a TARDIS, because um, <laughs> she, want, she wanted that real bad. So mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it just it looked to me more like, all right, dear, are you done now? Can we go? Um, speaking of uh, Sheila's eyes I mean when you know Clara Clara, she realises Clara has taken the chrono lock off of Rigsy and when the doctor says you know it's a very small universe when I'm angry with you doesn't she just look she's absolutely shitting herself she looks devastated Mm. and that plays into my theory because when, when she realized what Clara had done, she didn't just go, oh, all right, there's another one gone. Mm, that's pretty true, actually. I'm becoming convinced with this, mm. actually, mm. yeah. I think you might be on the same with that, Rick. Yeah. Um, so should we talk a little bit about... Um, I was gonna, I'm was i going to get these mixed up for the rest of my life. Hellbent on its own. Heaven sent. Heaven sent. The middle one, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Because that fucking ruined me. Yeah. I lost was... my shit. This episode... It absolutely, it broke my heart and I loved it for it. Because, mm-hmm. oh. um, I mean, I'll, I'll sort of put it all out there because, I mean, I'm not, you know, uh, very, I'm not embarrassed by it. But, I mean, I'm, I'm a person who suffered from depression for a long time. And, what, I mean, obviously it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor for grief, the episode, but also mm-hmm. it struck me as a metaphor for dealing with depression. Because fuck me if it doesn't feel like punching your way through a twenty foot brick of diamond sometimes <laughs> yeah. to it, it kind of it felt inspiring in that it was heartbreaking but it was also inspiring in that yes it will take you a long time 
mm-hmm. that you'll be okay. Well, I never even thought of it that way, but yeah, that's, I, I just, I, yeah, amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, to, I, 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 I have know. to process that. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, mm. also the, the thing of that, that monster following you, the specter mm. of it as well, you know, but fighting your way through, it will be okay. You can be, there is light, but it will, it will take a long time, but there it is. And I mean, I don't know if that's because, you know, that there's a situation that I've found myself in, in the past, mm. but it was, it say so that it spoke to me on that level. And yeah, I mean, but I say I want to really talk about, as well about the um, the the veil I believe that is called in the credits because yeah. just the, you know the thing that made that thing creepy the flies. Yeah, I think it, it's it's meant to be like more of like a a grim reaper sort of mm. character. It's like it's a personification of death because it's always following the doctor. It's always very close behind, and it actually does kill him several uh, thousand times. Times. <laughs> God, that that sort of ending montage when you just realise what the doctor's just gonna do, just so, just so like he he doesn't like spill the beans. You know what I mean? Yeah. It goes through like uh, what what we find out in Hellbend is like four and a half billion years worth of like loops, just trying to make his way out of the thing when he could, when all he had to do was just say what he knew about the hybrid. But as we find out in Hellbend. That's that's like his his trump card. That's that's the that's what he needs to keep hold of, so it doesn't wreck his plans. Even though you know that plan never really comes, and nothing really comes of it. Yeah, I mean, I know we're being serious right now, but didn't you feel like just twat the veil with the spade? <laughs> <laughs> just well, hit my, it with yeah. the spade. Uh, my <laughs> thought at first was, why are you assuming this thing can kill you? Uh, but oh, then, of course, we found out it could. <laughs> yeah, but mind you, though, I think if you're the doctor, you just assume everything's out to get you at some point. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I, I did, lo- I, and as well, I did love the line where the doctor was running and then you know, he runs out of corridor and he said, "Oh, a metaphor for a life," you know. I love <laughs> yeah. that. I love that. Um, I say, I really, I something that also really stuck out to me in this that episode was um, the design. I loved it, like all the way the thing moved. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I know it's it's not exactly like that, but if you've ever seen Cube. The food movie cube, yeah, kind of like that, and the music I thought was beautiful. Oh, yeah, this is probably one of Murray Gold's finest works. Yeah, I mean that that coupled with the cinematography, um, Richard Talley again behind at the director's chair. I mean, it's just like the bit where he's like underwater and he sees all those skulls. It's like, oh. Mm. yeah. So I, I, really... I loved this episode so much. And, yeah, I loved it. Um, the 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 reason I said it was kind of the opposite of Face the Raven for me is that for Face the Raven, the first two thirds of the episode were, you know, not bad, just, you know, standard Doctor Who stuff. Uh, and then that ending was just amazing. This was the other way around. Up mm-hmm. until he got out, it was it was probably my favorite episode I've ever seen. Um, it was so different. It was so creepy. And, and I, I think Capaldi was beyond amazing uh, yeah. in his performance, in his narration, in his actions, you know, and, and everything y'all just said, the cinematography and the, the set designs. I mean, it's all shades of gray yet it all were, it, it doesn't get monotonous at all. Um, you know, except for little bits of, you know, little uh, sh- tiny bits of color here and there. I, uh, but when he finally got out and then suddenly they're talking about Daleks again. And I was just like, 
Oh, shit, we're back in the regular Doctor Who universe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> it just, the, the whole episode so captured me with its, with its totally unhooey atmosphere mm. that it was, it was almost disappointing to have to go back to the normalcy uh, of mm. what was coming. So, did you were you reminded of a, a Star Trek episode? I'm thinking of one in particular that it reminded me of somewhat. What Scotty saving himself yeah. in the transporter in relics, buffer? Yeah, relics, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because what what was interesting? Because again, I was uh, talking to Chuck about this while we were out uh, out for a walk, and um, it's this whole theory that the first time you transport, you die, and mm-hmm. that what turns up is just basically a photocopy of you. Yeah, and yeah. It was yeah. that idea. I, I've been struggling with that, uh, and ultimately, what I finally do is it's it's <laughs> tying back to what we were talking about before we started the show. Uh, you know, the line in the Mystery Science Theater three thousand intro: uh, "Just repeat to yourselves, it's just a show." I should really just relax. Uh, Doctor Who has never really sweated the science too hard, uh, mm-hmm. so I just was like, "All right, in in the Doctor Who universe." If he he recreates himself each time from the from the transporter thingy, uh, it's going to be him with the requisite number of gener- regenerations that he is expected to have and all the other stuff. Um, and actually, that kind of saved me from going a little bit insane on this episode because yes, it covers what four and a half billion years, but each incarnation, each each uh, iteration or whatever you want to call it, only experiences what like a week or a few days or something like that yeah if that... Uh, it's about four and a half days i think i, I was actually when I, I was watching it back earlier today to try and like figure it out and it, i think it's about four and a half days if he's kind of like, like three where he's just like wandering about like the the castle and then he says it's got roughly about a day and a half before he actually dies after the veil yeah face palms him um so yeah it's about four and a half days so time's up by well, so if you assume three hundred sixty-five days uh, times by four, but that's a lot of doctors. It it <laughs> is, but no one of them experiences the whole four billion years. So yeah, uh, mm-hmm. even though like when when Clara finds out, and you know, and 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 in in the doctor keeps saying, you know, I took the long way around. It's not like he was being chased by this monster for four billion years. It was he was being chased mm-hmm. by this monster for four days, four hundred billion times or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that kind of that kind of let me get my head around and away from oh, that okay. brink of going absolutely bugfuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, we were. This was an episode that I think that when we, I mean, you'll you'll hear it on our um of season preview show that we we were like, okay, we know Capaldi's got the chops to to do this sort of thing, but how's it really going to work? And and then, but when we saw it. I was like, mm-hmm. goodbye, concerns, away with you, <laughs> because they were unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and and there, there may be a couple of reasons. Uh, uh, let me preface this. Whenever we watch the show, we have to watch it the day after it aired because we don't have BBC America here. Um, right. And usually the way things time out is my wife and I get it. It's one of the few shows we watch together, so we always wait till we can watch it together. Mm-hmm. And we've always just put the kids to bed, 
and they're like, all right, let's watch Doctor Who. So we have to plug in the headphones because the kids' bedrooms are right off the living room. And if we watch TV at a normal volume, they won't go to sleep. Right. Um, so I'm li- so I, be- I was listening to this show with headphones on. And I don't know, and maybe you can help me on this, either Capaldi and Tom Baker just have very similar vocal mannerisms or Capaldi was really trying to sound like Tom Baker. But I swear there were times when he, it, I had to remind myself that I wasn't listening to Tom Baker. I think he just has a very good Tom Baker impersonation. I think they're very, they're very similar in like the terms of like the, the depth of voice, the way they, the, the, the cadence, obviously their accents are different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you remember Mummy on the Orient Express, there's a bit where the doctor's in his room on board the train where he's having this back and forth between himself and for his, the, the self he's talking to, he, he affects Tom Baker's vocalisms, if you know what I mean. It's, yeah. You know, it's, so, so I think it's I think it's just they are very similar in sort of like range and timbre and things like that, and it's very easy for him to like switch on the Tom Baker. So you think it was he, on purpose? Yeah, okay. I do, yeah. I do. But yeah, I think he sort of just dips into that every so often to just sort of to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, to bring a bit, he does a little bit of cadence like that, doesn't he? You know, so he um, yeah, yeah. I think he just drops into it every so often as a a thing that he likes to do. So okay. you know, I don't think you're wrong in pointing that out. And it didn't bother me at all. I thought it was cool as hell. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's also a reason why he does it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, Stephen Moffat's um, balancing work between uh, Doctor Who and Sherlock. Uh, TARDIS Mind Palace, anybody? Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, but I think ever since that became a thing, the, mm-hmm. the whole idea of the Mind Palace... I think lots of shows are now doing it. I mean, you know, there's like mm. Elementary, the other Sherlock show and things like that. And they've done it, did it on Fringe as well when that was on and things like that. I think a lot of shows have kind of picked up on that. So, mm-hmm. and movies too. So I, I'm, I, but it was, I think it was a cool way to show how the Doctor's mind works so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I say, though I call it a mind palace, it's kind of more like a safe space for him. Yeah. If you know what I mean, it's like this is where he retreats to when you know things are getting too much, and this is where he sort of like takes his time out to like think at a million miles a second mm. and figure out how he's going to get out of it. Well, I think it was a nice way to sort of express why some you know because sometimes the doctor just sits and does kind of mad things, mm-hmm. you know, like he'll like he was like pulling the the petals off the the flower and you know, like picking up dust or, you know, sticking his, licking his finger and sticking in the air and things like that. It was kind of a, a nice way to sort of, to to show the audience of it's not just random affectation, it's kind mm. of his his thought process in a way. And I think, you know, a bit of nice retro retrospective continuity, you can apply that to like things like Tom used to do. Tom Baker's mm-hmm. yo-yo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, oh, did you guys catch, and I, w- I was proud of myself for catching this, and I had to go back and double-check to make sure I was right. Jenna Coleman was not in the opening credits of uh, Heaven Sent. Nope. Yep, correct. She was not indeed. Tell on Peter Capaldi's name for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, it was in, in, a, in a series which is 52 years old now, mm-hmm. to still be doing things which are that innovative, and this is why I kind of gave Sleep No More a bit of a pass to be doing yeah. things which are new and innovative and bold like the like these episodes have been i think it's it just speaks to the depth of the premise and 
I think that Chris, I mean, you know, I think that we've all criticised Moffat in our time, but his sort of, his, his kind of scope and his sort of willingness to gamble on what the format can take, I mm-hmm. think is quite, quite remarkable. Yeah. Well, no one can, no one could say that this season has been uh, overly aimed at the children. That's for damn sure. No, hmm. but I mean, I think that there is there is some, I think there's some concern about that, just from you know from the the kind of the Doctor Who hive mind, um, <laughs> online so to speak. Um, I think there there's been some areas of people being like, mm, how much are the kids picking up on this? And um, it, I, I, but I think with Moff, it's kind of a, a, a case of well, fucking, you're on board or you ain't. You know, step on or step off. So um, he, he, he's fully kind of gone with people are either watching this show or they're not. So we don't have to pander to new people, so to speak. Um, and he seems fully on board with that concept. And that, you know, I think that works for you or it doesn't. Yeah, I'm not complaining. I just, no, no, no. I just mm. this, this yeah. season has been probably the most adult, the most consistently adult season of Doctor Who for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think as well. I, I think that there's um, there's possibly scope that they're sort of pitching it a little bit more up that end because we're getting the teenage spin-off next year. So I wonder if they're kind of they're stepping back a little bit from that teenage space to give this new spin-off some room. But I mean, I'm I, that's pure speculation on my part. It's possible. I don't know whether also part of it is like. Um, to borrow a phrase from Kill the Moon, um, the stabilizers are off because obviously we've got Peter Capaldi is now fully established as the Doctor. I think he pretty much had that nailed from Deep Breath, but you know, um, but like there's no sort of like having to try and get people on board, like you say, mm. like you're in or you're not. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's why this series has been a lot more. I don't want to say adult, but a lot more mature, certainly. Yeah. Um, you know, especially when you have like like the speeches like at the end of Saigon Inversion, um, and things like that. Mm, absolutely. Um, and I think that it's it because again they've sort of given I think they've given Capaldi a bit more rope as well because they've mm-hmm. sort of changed his look up like his hair is kind of bigger now rather than that sort of quite severe kind of Caesar cut he had before and like they've been changing his clothes up quite a lot and mm-hmm. a bit more colours and all this sort of thing so they've given I think they've given him a bit He's mu- I think he's much more comfortable when that shows mm-hmm. oh yeah definitely yeah it'd be, I would say he looks good as hell in that crushed velvet jacket as well so <laughs> stick with that for a while yes <laughs> so shall we move on to the season finale mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Back to Gallifrey uh, and the Capitol, which is looking more and more like a slow globe every time I see it. It's <laughs> <laughs> picking up and giving it a bit of a shake. shake yeah. <laughs> I, I must say, just right off the bat, I was slightly bummed Timothy Dalton wasn't back. Yeah. Well, because mm, actually, I, my wife and I were talking about that too. It was like, was that Rassilon? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't Timothy Dalton. And then, of course, he musters yeah. that he is. Yeah. Well, I figured out it was Rassilon straight off the bat. But when you think about it, the last we saw of Timothy Dalton's wrestling, he was getting Iron Man repulsor raid by the Master. True. So what's to say that didn't like kick him into a regeneration? Yeah. Yeah, and I kind of like how this wrestle on just does not have like the 
the the power or the fear that he he wielded as Timothy Dalton. He's just he's very much just an old man just shouting at the world. Mm. Yeah. And, and and now that the doctor's back, everybody's got an excuse to go. Do you know what? Shut up. Yeah, you're rubbish anyway. Now I, mm. I sort of miss Timothy Dalton because I, I do foster a slight crush on Timothy Dalton, but um, yeah. it was uh, yeah, it was I, like you say, he was a pretty weak source kind of. Uh, version of him so i think it was everyone was just kind of rolling their eyes waiting to get rid of him so we're now back to our old rebel el presidente the doctor (laughs) (laughs) i I have to say the the uh the uh, sorry uh, um no no, 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 no. the uh the 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 woman in the barn yeah hmm, who who had i think i think two lines (laughs) uh, (laughs) a lot of pointing was (laughs) one of the most magnificent bit performances i've ever seen yeah when she <laughs> recognized much... the doctor mm-hmm. the look on her face was heartbreaking in it and it's like you the the play of emotion that the, that that actor did was amazing you know mm-hmm. the the i want to hug him but i can't and you know and you shouldn't be here but i'm glad to see you and all of that just in her eyes and then just you know they'll kill you <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And then yeah, and then they don't give her any more lines, and then she just keeps coming in, going, you know, like something uh, else is out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I like it. I like how the, that though, when when she keeps coming into the dog, as like more people turn up to say hi hi to him, it's like it's like she's getting increasingly out. It's like there's this sense of like, oh shit, the Lord President's outside. It's like uh, <laughs> I, it's almost like Eddie is on levels of like it's like I just oh. <laughs> <laughs> What is this, Fatty? Am I arranging matchsticks? Oh, it's just... Uh, oh. Well, what I like is when, when the, um, the the guards turn up and they in the spaceship and they tell him to drop his weapon and he's he eating soup. Spoon. He drops his spoon, yeah. Oh, yes. Nice shout out to Robot Sherwood. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I, did, um, I did like the sort of uh, people... I mean, the Doctorism doesn't even really say a lot. And no. he just completely commands the situation from second one of arriving back on Gallifrey. And by doing extremely little, tosses, <laughs> tosses kicks Rassel onto the curb and uh, and uh, becomes the daddy again, <laughs> so to speak. Um, yeah. That opening's like 10, 15 minutes, so it's very sort of like spaghetti western, isn't it? Mm. Very, you could easily just like see the Doctor being played by Clint Eastwood right there. You know, when he drags his, line, his foot in the sand and... Yeah, he's he's just standing there, and like all the 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 foot soldiers sort of like stand with him, like they drop the weapons and stand with him. It's very sort of like good, bad, the ugly, especially like again Rachel Talley's like direction and like the the lighting of it. Mm. You know, it's it's almost like you expect like one of the presidential ships to go and everybody like clears out and ducks behind the bar and. <laughs> yeah, that's very the true. Actually, stops. <laughs> that's very true. Actually. Um... Uh, I was going to say, I mean, uh, th- I think one of the best parts, though, of being back on Gallifrey was the sisterhood of Khan. Oh, how I love yeah. them. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and even, like, um, like Rassalon goes, like, what the hell are you doing here? And he was basically like, shut up. Yeah. I'll do what I want. Thank you. I love, I love the way she says, one does so love fireworks. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> Opt- optimal troll. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I do, I do like that the sort of the the meeting of the immortals that you have the Time mm. Lords and the Sisterhood of Khan and a Shielder, sort of yeah. the 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 ones who are kind of outside of the the, the universe almost. Mm. And um, yeah, you, I mean, I did like Ophelia. Is kind of um, you feel like she's desperate to try and fight for the Doctor's corner, 
but she's he's making it ever so hard for her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those, she, you, you feel like she's tearing her hair out with him at this point. <laughs> yeah. Or it's, especially when it's like, she has a little mini breakdown after he nicks the TARDIS, or nicks a TARDIS, and he says, get out here and face me, boy. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, the last, first time she met him, he was technically a kid, pretty much, yeah. and he was the fourth Doctor. So, pretty true. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was a great. It was a great bit of. Uh, and talking about master trolling, fucking mm-hmm. Stephen Moffat, <laughs> master troll. <laughs> Which regeneration is this for you? Tenth? Bzz. Oh no! Now you're not only a woman. You've also changed race. Oh yeah. And, well, and did you catch what she said when she stood up? I'm back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that 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 whole. I mean, you know, uh, you guys haven't heard it yet, uh, and you, I don't know if you, you may or may not want to cut this out. Um, I did a recording with a one of my trans students um, mm-hmm. for "Do Ask Do Tell," where he has done incredible research into the BBC's policies on LGB uh, content, and mm-hmm. we talked a lot about Missy and and the Master and fan blowback and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, and just now, I mean, it, people have been able to kind of like, okay, we've heard, you know, the sisterhood of Karn told told um, uh, the 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 eighth doctor mm-hmm. before he became the war doctor that he could be anything, but that's because they gave him a potion. You know, I'm 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 not saying that's what it is. I'm saying that's where these rationalizations could go. Mm-hmm. We have Missy who is definitely was a time lord and is now missy a time lady if that's the right term is that the right term sounds well, really awkward um, it's, it's it's kind of it's kind of one of those labels that's kind of been stuck on it because again, again the change in gender but i don't think it really gets acknowledged in the show i'm, I'm yeah, probably no. wrong but i think time lord is fine for whatever okay. you want um but you could always say that the master is an, uh, an aberration and and blow it off that way we have now seen a full on no no fingers crossed, no aberrations, no anomalous. Time Lord gets shot in the chest and then turned into a black woman. <laughs> Fuck you, b- bigots. <laughs> Suck on that. Well, this is what made me laugh, right? I mean, immediately after the episode, Chuck was on the forums and uh, someone was on there saying it was unnecessary and provocative. It's like, motherfucker, they didn't shoot down your jet. You ain't Russia. You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> Someone changed gender and race on telly. It's not the same. <laughs> Good lord! Yeah, I um, I loved that so much. I and, love and it. She's I, gorgeous I, I, too. Oh yeah. Mm. I thought you know, and you know, it was kind of like didn't miss a beat. Just carried on. Everyone was cool with it, and you know, yeah. carry on with the story. It didn't bear a second mention, which I thought it was tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did um, like just before uh, the doctor shot shot the uh, the general. He he's, he actually said, you know, good luck. Yeah. You know, and the general just went, you know, to you too, sir. You know, not it's like it's kind of like it's nothing personal, but I have to do this just so I can like try and like the general sort of like yeah, I can't really didn't, but yeah, sure. <laughs> now that is that is one thing that I did hear uh, a little bit of not not. Blowback is way too strong a term, but I think people were upset that the doctor killed someone with a gun. Mm. Uh, I, I, it didn't bother me, especially after you know that's the Time Lord equivalent of man flu. Um, 
you know, it 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 carried consequences, but nowhere near as many consequences as uh, well. Well, like he said to Clara, you know, when I die, I come back. When you die, you stay dead. It's not a time lord killing another time lord isn't as big a deal. So I didn't find it to be that much of an aberration in the Doctor's character. Yeah, I mean, they do sort of play it down as sort of a minor inconvenience. Yeah, yeah. And you know, when when uh, when the regeneration is over and everything just continues and it kind of wasn't mentioned again, you kind of, you know, go, okay, you know, this yeah. is just a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the whole, the point of that sequence was to show like how far the Doctor's gone off the rails to try and save Clara, that he's willing to pick up a gun. And she, cause you remember last time he had like a gun in his hand, well, um, going back to uh, end of time, he had plenty of opportunity to either off the master or wrestle on. But he didn't. He shot the diamond that was bringing Gallifrey to Earth. But this time, the stakes are just so... Uh, like I say, he's, he's gone so much off the rails. It, like, you know, uh, as the episode title suggests, hell-bent mm-hmm. to try and save Clara, that he's just willing to flat-out do that. Mm. I yeah. think what you say, what, what I liked was that you felt like he was kind of... He was, it, when you got to that bit once they're they're away in the TARDIS and Clara is checking her pulse and he's mm. saying, you know, it's got to be back by now, it's got to be back. And I think it was so like he was trying to justify what he had done by you know, by by saying, right, you know, it's okay, you know, everything is what I've done is is justified to this. You know, she'll be fine, it's okay and, you know, it, it's going on and her pulse isn't back and he's getting more and more desperate and yeah, I, I thought that it was a tremendous piece of that from him. And I think that, again, you know, we've talked about Jenna Coleman's abilities and I think that, that she's so kind of... There's, there's this sort of this war in between her of, um, you know, I, I'm sort of overwhelmed by what he's done and the lengths he's willing to go to versus this is wrong, my time was then, it's a fixed point and I'm okay mm-hmm. with it and, you know, it should be my choice, it's my memories, it's how I want to go out, essentially. So mm. that that kind of torn between those two feelings. Yeah. I think the um, the, the whole thing with getting Clara to check her pulse as you say, brought the, the TARDIS forward in time, I think that was more like a desperation... Desperation move. It was, it was, yeah, because the, the ultimate sort of like solution he had was the memory wipe but i think he didn't want it to come to that mm. but there's also a part of him that knows that whatever he's doing is not working he just doesn't want to admit it so yeah. he, he doesn't have to go through with wiping her memory as, yeah. as the plan was so the similarities obviously are then between that and when he had to wipe donna's memory mm. yeah 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 um yeah, I, now, mean, I thought, but I thought it was a really cool twist to do that thing of Clara's reverse of polarity. It could be either one of them who gets the memory wiped, mm-hmm. and obviously the story was pushing you towards that Clara had the memory wiped. But then this whole sort of artifice of getting him to talk to her about it, and it was him who can't remember. I thought that was great, and mm. I, I, I'm gonna put my hands up and say I didn't clock it before it was revealed. No, I, I thought for the longest while that the Clara that the Doctor was talking to in the diner was just a like a fragment. Yeah, absolutely same as same as me. But then when they were talking about the memory thing, I thought, "Oh, okay, so she doesn't remember him." Mm. And then it wasn't until the reverse of the polarity thing and I was like, "Oh, okay, I got it now." Yeah. Now, do you think he he really has forgotten her or was he just playing along? 
Well, I think he. I think he mostly has. He knows he travelled with someone with called Clara. Like, like he says, he remembers. Like, he knows that she he had adventures with her, but he's having problems like remembering what she looked like, how she talked, how she laughed. So, I, I think the the confusion on his face was very much real. I think he has pretty much. I mean, what what he does remember, he's just managed to piece back. Like he says, from the hole it left behind. Mm. Yeah, and also, but I mean, you've got that end shot of the the TARDIS memorial to Clara yeah. that, that Riggsy did. I mean, obviously, it's got her face in it, so he's gonna kind of put two and two together from that. But like you say, I think it's, I think because he's a time lord and weird things happen to him like that, he'll just sort mm. of go okay, and he has to move on. That the okay. that things kind of like again with 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 River, it's sort of like things happen out of order with them. So you just sort of take it as it comes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Quick question for y'all. Uh, well, yeah. I've, I've, uh, did y'all, first of all, did y'all catch the Easter egg in the diner? Well, I mean, the diner is the one from... Um, well, uh, not, not that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. When, when he walks in, the, so- the music oh, that's yes. playing, the song from Mummy on the Orient Express. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. Okay. So, um, it wasn't until Chuck pointed out to me that I noticed that, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> because I, mean, I just... I love is... that song so much, and I because I and I looked up the singer and stuff when it when that episode happened. So. Yeah. but don't you just want to grab a pool cue and hit someone with it when you hear it? There, although. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'll, and speaking of music, <sighs> and I just want to make sure that it's that I just didn't, I didn't miss something. Uh, when he's playing that song, when he's playing that tune, and and Clara says, uh, you know, you said how. Uh, stories are what happened when memories get forgotten or something like that. Uh, do you think that maybe they could become songs? Was that tune he was playing something? It's Clara's theme. Yeah, it's the one that they've oh, been using is? all the way through. Yeah, so oh, Murray Gold yeah. does like little themes for all the companions and that sort of dun, 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 dun. That was Clara's theme all the way through the, the series. So mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I figured it had to be something and it was something I was missing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's Clara's leitmotif. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because like, um, if you once you know that he does that, you can't no unnotice it. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, like, if you go back and watch old series, like, there's like a very distinctive theme for Martha. There's a very distinctive theme for Donna and all this sort of thing. It's like their little mm-hmm. kind of musical motif. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of, kind of saying that Murray Gold's done all the way through. So. Yeah, I mean, also it's like um, during Chris Eccleston and David Tennant's run, there was like a a, a theme for the Doctor, like, mm. which actually did come back in this episode. In it, like in a sort of Morricone sort of like spaghetti western, like whistled version, like when he's like <laughs> in the barn. Mm. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, um, so I did like that it was the the old diner back again. Mm. I mean, because I, I didn't sort of realise it until they sort of had their, they sort of turned around and saw that air sprayed Elvis on the door. And I was yeah. like, oh, I recognise this place. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I have to uh, say, Jenna Louise Coleman looks awesome in a, in a little waitress <laughs> outfit. Just, just putting that out there. Fair enough. <laughs> um, Fair enough. So I think one major thing I want to talk about um, is the hybrid. Mm. And I kind of feel justified in my assertion way back when we talked about um, the first two episodes and it kind of felt like they put all the hybrid stuff to bed in those first two. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I feel kind of justified in that assertion because it, it was kind of a, it was kind of a MacGuffin it turned out to be. 
Yeah. Well, that's entirely what it was, because uh, what I quite like about this is, at the end, it kind of doesn't matter yeah. what it is. Um, and I like that, uh, you know, it's it's when when Daros says back in uh, Which is Familiar about uh, being a half-Dalek, half-Time Lord hybrid, and the Doctor, like, flat out poo-poo's that in Heaven's End, and you think, well, of course, of course the Daleks wouldn't allow it, what happened to Dalek Sec in uh, well, exactly. Evolution of the Daleks? Yeah. And it's great how they don't, like, really sort of flat out say... It could be, like, any sort of combination. It could be a shielder. It could be the Doctor. It could be the Doctor and Clara. Um, I mean, I quite like the shielder's sort of, like, theory that it's the Doctor and Clara. Who's the Half of the duo is a Time Lord, half the duo is human. And... Uh, Missy threw them together because of the sort of chaos that could reign. But uh, what I'm like slightly worried about is that now that the Doctor's had his memory wipe, what's stop what's stopping this from happening all over again? Well, quite true. Yeah, I mean that's that's the that's the worry, isn't it? I mean, um, mm-hmm. but I feel like kind of almost the hybrid is kind of the ultimate kind of conspiracy theory in mm. in now. It's kind of been it's sort of like the moon landing of of the Doctor Who universe now. It's kind of like, oh no, that's sort of this is the hybrid, no, that's the hybrid. You know, everyone's got their mm-hmm. own their own theory about it. And it's one of those it's, they sort of by un- almost undermining this whole idea of um we've got like this this sort of series defining like thing, you know, this this thing that's mm-hmm. gonna run all the way through the the series and then we're gonna talk about it at the end and that sort of you know, it's gonna be the big reveal and they kind of they kind of flipped that on its head by making it not important, and I did. I enjoyed it. I, I thought that was cool because mm. we've had so many seasons of like, oh, you know, oh, Torchwood, and oh, you know, this or that thing. So yeah. to, to kind of have it not be a big deal and you know, not the whole focus of the series was quite refreshing. Mm. I kind of wonder whether we might be steering away from like the arc words or whatever. Yeah. Whether whether this was just sort of like Moffat's sort of like finger. Like to to the whole idea because I I would just like a, a series like yeah maybe have like a recurring theme or so but like nothing that like the finale would hinge on yeah like I I would kind of like to have like a series finale where it was like just another adventure and then like the series end and then it's like okay and like and the con- adventure continues do you know what I mean like it's not like Journey's End where the entirety of reality is at stake or it's not like um, the name of the Doctor where the, the whole of the Doctor's existence is at stake. Do you know what I mean? I think mm. there's like so much escalation you can do and I'm quite like Hellbent because it's, it doesn't really have that. I mean, it's implied that the fact that Clara's been taken out of a fixed point of death will unravel the universe. But the way I kind of look at it is that the universe isn't necessarily going to get unraveled because at some point I think Clara will eventually do the right thing, go back to Galafay, get popped back into the right portion of space and time and still face the Raven and then everything's fi- everything's like already fixed even though it isn't, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. sort of like a bit of a paradox. Yeah, I mean, I, again, it's it, but it's it's kind of so tempting that they're, they're, out, they're out there doing their own thing in a space mm-hmm. diner and that, we, yeah. you know, that they, they'll come back and it will be resolved but i think mm-hmm. that I, I think that there's a lot of people going oh spin off spin off you know i think is really 
I think it speaks to how kind of cool those characters are and, you know, that mm-hmm. although it, I think there were some people scoffing at, at that ending and I, I when, when it happened, I really thought, oh man, is the Doctor Who high fine going to hate the shit out of this? Um, <laughs> I was like, the, the thought of those two having adventures and that, yeah, you're right, I think eventually Clara will go back and... Mm-hmm. But I, I like that this this whole idea of them going the long way round. I think that that's mm-hmm. super cool, and I I did like it. And again, it's something that could have been quite the downer. Mm-hmm. I think that it left left you with quite a lot of optimism for the future. You know, the, the Doctor's going to be okay. He's got his cool new Sonic with flashy lights, and mm-hmm. he's off doing his thing. And Ashilda and Clara are doing their own thing. And um, yeah, but I think the one question that I had. Um, mm. Just just as a, a nerd, was sort of like, I wonder who a shielder has been chatting to because she's remarkably well informed when she she turns up. <laughs> well, she's also well, been around for four and a half has. billion years. So mm. she has, she <laughs> and, has and she doesn't she doesn't like take shortcuts like the doctor does. She's lived through all of that time. Mm. Well, I think a lot of people speculate maybe she's like had like bionic surgery, so she's upgraded her memory, so she can retain things a little easier, but. If you think about it, when the Doctor's taken the TARDIS he stole from Gallifrey through time, he's not changing its position in space, he's just posi- changing its position in time. So at some point, it's the- it could be theorised that Ashilda ended up on Gallifrey, where we have the Matrix, that the Timeless could have already like died off. And she's just using the Matrix to like, keep keep herself up to date on things. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think that... Uh, but um, I, I kind of want to see uh, Ashilda Missy kind of face off i think that would be <laughs> awesome i think the internet would explode i was going to say mm-hmm. the, the fan fiction writers keyboard would be a flame um <laughs> yeah I, I think it would um that would be cool I, but i mean i don't think it's they're ever going to sort of be as indulgent as that in the series and, and put that in but no. um i think that that's ripe for books and big finish and all that stuff i think that that's uh that's a super cool kind of idea. And it, as I say, it's nice to think of them going off and, and doing their own thing in their space diner. Mm-hmm. Well, part of the problem with that is that both actors are busy. You know, yeah. Uh, I mean, Game of Thrones still going on. So, yeah. you know, so that's going to be taken up a lot of time, you know, um, and I'm sure Michelle Gomez will be back. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, I'll say, I mean, because um, uh, Jenna Coleman's uh, doing a, a big project playing Queen Victoria now. But I mean, it's not. I don't think it's out of the question that she'd come back for like you know an episode or a cameo. Yeah, or a, a, a one-off mm. here or there, but not yeah. not a spin-off series. Not a full-time no. spin-off. No, I don't. I don't mm. think there'd be a full-time spin-off. But but I think that there's no reason why there couldn't be books and stuff like that. And I buy those books, so you know, I think that there's definitely it's got legs. I think is uh, mm. as they say. I think that there's definitely room for it. Yeah. You know, something that I'm a little embarrassed about is that right. they, they got me twice with the me thing. When the doctor said, yeah. the hybrid is me, and then yeah. when he says, Who, who's out there? Me. And both times I was like, oh, the doctor, oh, it's her. Damn it, <laughs> <laughs> you got me. <laughs> yeah. Right, and Stephen Moffat is happy about that, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you find... It, it interesting that the Time Lords and the Daleks both have these basements of horror uh, where where their old members go to die. Oh, there's everybody. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I think that's just as you get older, you just acquire rubbish things and they have to go, you know, there's like the shameful cupboard in your house that's full of, you mm-hmm. know, tat. So I feel like that 
an extremely ancient race is going to have a you know a, a horror basement. Um, mm-hmm. So I do think the, the the sliders were kind of you know it was, I mean I didn't hate it but I thought it was a little bit incidental. He's like we've got to have a monster in this so stick them in. Yeah, yeah they didn't do anything. They did absolutely they nothing did. except wander, slide around and look scary. Well, it's not just typical of the Time Lords. That's all they do is just stand around and be officious. Mm. Good point. So there you go. Because it was only the thinking, Cybermen, yeah. the the Angels, and the and the the Dalek down there that did anything. Yeah, yeah. And even then, they were were no real threat because the Matrix had them ensnared. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there was some. I think it was quite. I did quite. I did wonder that how much of the sort of the, how much temptation is there going to be to put. You know, a lot of that that really kind of nerdy stuff from like Deadly Assassin and sort of all those um, old Gallifrey episodes that we had in the old series. In I mean, because the Shabogans got a shout out and mm-hmm. all the whole thing of how the Matrix works got a shout out. So I mean, um, something that I thought was was nice about the whole new series was kind of they kind of put that all away and it was they didn't make a lot of emphasis about that. But I do think that Stephen Moffat's nerd is showing by bringing back all that stuff. Which I think only the really truly spotty, like um, me and me husband, are going to really care about. Oh, we said Shabugans. Yeah, but at the same time, it's sort of like uh, with the way like the Doctor like speaks and drops names and things in the in the new series since it came back is, it's it's like not out of the question. He would like say that, and a lot of like the the not we would just go, all right, okay. Yeah. But then, but then the actual fans would be going, oh. But it's it's kind of like sort of the the classic TARDIS console room we got. And it, oh, that was gorgeous. That was nice. Yeah, oh, that was beautiful. Yeah, and I have to say there were some really wonderful like one-liners, not not jokes, but just neat sayings. Like my favorite, the one I wrote down: "Nothing is sad till it's over, then everything is." I love that mm. line so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, say, so, I mean. Again, one of Stephen Moffat's real superpowers is just he seems to have the ability to just drop bits of gold like that throughout mm-hmm. throughout episodes. And I, I mean, again, I think that I think that sometimes that does rub some people up the wrong way, like it's too pretentious or you know it's kind of too smug and all this sort of thing. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean things like that that come out of Doctor Who, and you know, it's kind of it's almost too real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, but yeah, it's it. Uh, again, I, I'm I'm full of admiration for it myself, and I think, it, like I say, again with like Heaven Sent and stuff like that, the stuff in there that really resonates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any flaws in this episode are, in my in my opinion, uh, any in, in these this this trilogy really are like the flaws in a diamond that make it valuable. I think this was some of the tightest, best written, best performed uh, Doctor Who ever and granted my, you know mm-hmm. my my experiences aren't aren't with the the series are not as vast as y'all's but just from a strictly entertainment standpoint i can't think of a better three episodes offhand i think this was just almost perfect i mean i, I, sort I, of struggle, I, you know, I sort i'm not prone to hyperbole like that yeah i mean yeah. I, I would struggle to point out what they could have done that was better yeah like mm. you know, being being really just trying to be really kind of almost super critical. I'm sure there's stuff you could pick out, but just from pure entertainment value, like I was entertained from like second one to second, like when it was over, and you know, I I think that especially um, 
heaven sent and stuff like that it really kind of it it really sort of impacted in in the heart you know it really spoke mm-hmm. to me and yeah you just you kind of think well what what can you sort of pull out of it that was wrong with it and you think well not a lot and you would be really picky i think to to really pick it i mean i'm i'm you know i saw um <laughs> I mean, again, I think it all comes down to how you relate to those characters. I mean, because on Twitter I saw uh, there's a, a guy who does Let's Plays on YouTube, which I follow, a guy called Dan Hardcast, or if people follow um, like Let's Plays and stuff, is Nerd Cubed. Um, and he was saying, <laughs> again, Simpsons reference, Clara died on the way back to her home planet. <laughs> 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 wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, that the ultimate kind of poochie insult, you know? Yeah. And I think that if you don't relate to those characters, if, if, if they mean nothing to you, if it's leaving you cold, then it's going to do nothing but continue to leave you cold. Mm. And I think that it, it, it's kind of, at that point, you kind of just have to say, okay. It, it You yeah. know, you, you can imagine, you can say that, you know, it's, it's a great bit of work or it's beautifully shot, beautifully directed or something like that. But if the content is, is not speaking to you, then, you know, that, that's that essentially. And I, I can't blame people for that. Yeah. So shall we, uh, shall I read out some of this here feedback? Go on then. Okay. So it's, um, okay. So it's going to be from all the three episodes that we've reviewed. Um, right. So there's a bunch from uh, Tony Boydell. I've got to say, shout out to you, Tony. Thank you so much. You've sent us uh, th- feedback for every episode and uh, we really mm. appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, Charles. Um, so the first bit for Face Ravenwall, that was a brave way to kill off a major character. Best of intentions and arrogance combines to become Clara's tragic undoing. When she silently screamed her agony and death, I cried. Absolute fucking lutely brilliant writing, realisation and Jenna's acting. This is a fantastic series. Um, uh, you yeah, just I, simply, can I... Yeah, go for it, go for it. Can I just cut, piggyback on that? I was so glad that they didn't have us listen to her scream of death. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought that because that was after ridiculous. when the when the old guy died, you know, and he, and he died, and you know, we, it became clear that this was anything but a but a painless death. Uh, and then I was I was like white knuckled. What's going to happen? And then they did the the silent thing, and I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, for for heaven sent, he simply said, I think that may be the best episode of Doctor Who ever. I, I struggle to disagree. <laughs> mm. um, and finally, for uh, Hellbent, he said, well, at the end of the last season, I was so pissed off with Clara that I vowed to give this series a miss. How insanely glad I am I gave it a second chance. A very fine series indeed with some astonishing episodes. This final triumvirate has been a triumph. I'll let you guys go into the details. I'm just going to enjoy living it all through your discussion. Just brilliant. Well, again, thanks, Tony, for your... Uh, for your insights all the way through and um yeah um i've got uh, another little bit of feedback general question here from uh our friend uh tony poochie hello tony poochie poochie and uh out to to Lindsay and tony um a, a tiny poochie is on the way hey hey yeah, hope you'll be seeing you soon small poochie and i hope that you will uh also be watching doctor who with your mum and dad so um <laughs> he says uh i have a question as i didn't rediscover doctor who until matt smith's debut in the 11th hour i missed the end of russell t davis era as it was happening now stephen moffat has hinted that his time on the show is coming to an end and certainly there is a vocal faction online who are not fond of moffat at all no kidding <laughs> the love-hate debate about moffat aside who i normally quite like i enjoy his ability to set up storylines years 
years in advance. He really works the big picture. My question is, was there this big a love-hate thing around RTD as well? Were people clamouring for RTD to leave? Why did he leave exactly and so on? Please discuss. Uh, thanks and love the podcast. Uh, Tony, right. thanks very much for your message, Tony. Well, what do you reckon, lads? I mean, because I seem to remember... Um, <laughs> Uh, right at the end of RTD's era, people were desperate for him to go. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the same with any any showrunner that's been and will come to Doctor Who from here on out. I think there will be a cadre of people who will go, yes, we've got this person. And then after like maybe like half a season or one season, they'll be going, why the fuck isn't they, aren't they going? And I think it's just, I think it's something you'll just have to deal with if you want to become, be a showrunner on Doctor Who these days. Because, well, yeah, you you guys, you know, obviously have a, a your, your fingers more on the pulse of of uh, what's going on over there on on your side of the world. Um, over here, it, it was kind of this weird dichotomy of uh, the young girls loved what Davies was doing, and the young guys weren't really paying much attention to it. But fans like me. Uh, who were, you know, the older fans who, you know, started off with classic who, uh, we really couldn't stand what Davies was doing to the show. <laughs> I think, uh, I think I, I, again, it was that kind of weariness with the way his, his perception of how the show should be. I mm-hmm. think that again, like you're saying about young dudes and sort of older fans were kind of like, you know, it's far too soppy. It's far too in love with itself. It's too smug. Um, again, I mean, talking about over here, um, the kind of insane level of fandom about the David Tennant RTD connection. I mean, there was one Christmas where David Tennant was on fucking every show. <laughs> I mean, literally, we, we we ended up calling it David Tennantmas because yeah. he was on everything. <laughs> it and, was. It, I mean, and, and to be honest, it was kind of it got to the point that the show could could not almost sustain the level of hysteria that was going on about it. And mm. I think that actually him going when he did and saying, you know, it's time for me to hang it up and move on, it, it was kind of a relief. Mm. It, it was getting too much. Yeah. And I mean, still to this day, I'll look on like message boards and stuff and there'll be like a thread about Doctor Who. And then somebody will always pop up and say, oh, well, I, I stopped watching when David Tennant left. Like, yeah. Why do we even need to know that? It's like, thanks. <laughs> Anything else, yeah. you know? I think there was I, a significant I, drop off. I have noticed, I have noticed a, a great deal less interest in you know, uh, folks. If y'all don't know me, uh, fuck's wrong with you. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I teach uh, I teach college. I'm a I'm a, a, a university and no, all night. Well, a college teacher, and uh, um, so I'm around people who are from you know 18 to 24 pretty much all the time and after tenant left the rabid interest in doctor who over here ebbed quite a bit yeah um there were still you know there was still there's i mean and there i can still start up a doctor who conversation in any of my classes at any point but it's nowhere near as emphatic and as many people as it was during the tenant davies era but those were almost exclusively young girls and the mm-hmm. occasional gay man yeah, yeah. Um, i mean cause we we kind of knew a uh, this is years ago now but we we kind of knew a faction of 
these women who we came to know as the squee squad um that we uh, <laughs> that we we kind of knew through like forums and friends of ours and like i say these were exclusively women who were on board with david tennant and as soon as he went they evaporated nowhere to be mm-hmm. seen and like i say i think the level especially in this country and over in the states the level of hysteria it was unsustainable and like I say, it was kind of a blessing when it kind of scaled back down to kind of normal levels. I think that yeah. I think there's still quite a bit of interest in the states. I mean, because you know when they did the, the tour with uh, uh, not it was beginning before a uh, deep breath, uh, they were doing the tour mm-hmm. around like they went to South Korea and Australia and all that sort of thing. There's still a lot of interest. I think people are still into it, um, but it, it's kind of dropped to like a normal level because before yeah. it was just insane. Yeah, and and my you know I'll I'll clarify. Most of the time, I'm, I didn't have a problem with the Davies era from a story standpoint. You know, my big problem was the overemphasis on the romantic tension between the Doctor and the companions. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I think that 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 emphasis from the that, that story emphasis, it really grated on a lot of people, especially you know, towards the end. Um, and uh, like I say, I think that it kind of had, had reached kind of maximum annoyance level, and that's when. I think that the writing sort of went on the wall then. And I think that it, it, it always happens. It's not just a Doctor Who disease. I mean, if you're like a sports fan, you know, like me being a Lions fan, mm. <laughs> um, you know, a couple of years ago, fire the head coach. Oh, good, he's gone. We've got the new head coach. Oh, no, now he's shit. He can go now. You know, it's, it's this thing of like, oh, you know, we're never never satisfied. You know, there's always kind no. of like, the always grass always seems greener, especially when you've been, they've been around for a few years and you sort of know how, there's kind of expectation of how they work. And if if you're already kind of not on board with it, your, your level of irritation is only going to grow. And um, yeah, I think, I don't think we're quite at that level of fury with Moffat yet. I think he gives much less of a shit than yeah. RTD ever did <laughs> so I'm sure that a lot of that kind of just bounces off him um, but I, I would I would envisage that I could see season 10 being a mass exodus I could see Moffat going and Capaldi going at the end of 10 mm. because you know mm. Capaldi would have done three years that seems to be kind of the kind of the the the, the kind of the the innings for for doctors Moffat would have done what five yeah, five years of it. Five, six years. Five, six yeah, years now. of it. So I'm sure that I could see that that happening. But then again, I, I, the, what worries me about that is are we going to get into like the JNT situation, the John Nathan Turner situation, in that there's no one else that either wants the job or feels like they could do it and Motifat just stays out of wanting to keep the show going. We don't kind of want to end up in that situation again. So... You know, if if there is kind of a, a successor being groomed in the background, and Moffat, you know, at the end of next year says, you know, his grand finale, he puts it all out there and he says, okay, you know, we're done, we're moving on, we're doing something else, and you know, do another big reboot of the series. I think that, I think there'd probably be a lot of people online that would welcome that. I think there'd be a lot of people who'd be sad about it, but I think you don't want to get to the point where people are like, leave. Go, get out the door. End. End, which is, I, End. I think that people, like, even people who give it a lot of rope, like me, we get into with RTD. Mm. Yeah. You don't want to outstay your welcome. Well, you know, if you'd asked that question, if, if someone had asked me that question at the end of, of Capaldi's first season, 
I was all for like, all right, maybe trying to do Sherlock and the Doctor at the same time is just too much for him, and he and he needs to to pick one and and go. But this season now, I, I how many episodes did he actually write this season? Seemed like not many. Uh, let's see. We well, did the opening two part. He did Heaven Sent and Hellbent. Did he do any in between? I think he co-wrote one. Yeah, didn't he? Think he, did, so. he co-wrote. Okay. He wanted, I want to say he co-wrote. Men wrote co-wrote two of them. Let me check. Yeah, because I I, yeah, I know that uh, uh, Face the Raven was written by somebody else because I looked her name up because I was mm-hmm. making a tweet about. I was like, "Way to go, Moffat!" And I was like, "Wait a minute, maybe I better check that." I was like, "Oh no, he didn't write that one." Okay. Um, but. Uh, you know, if right. if the quality of the show stays like it was this season, then you know, pull up a chair, dude, and stay as long as you want. Uh, okay, so Stephen Moffat wrote four episodes himself, and he co-wrote two. He okay. co-wrote uh, "Girl Who Died with Jamie Matheson" and the Zygon Inversion with Peter Harness. But I think a lot of the Zygon Inversions writing, especially like the speech, I think that's that's Moffat. Yeah. It's a bit of the Barbara Cartlands. Have you seen that one where it's uh, it's uh, Matt Lucas being uh, Barbara Cartland and sort of dictating the book to the ghostwriter? I do wonder <laughs> if it's a little bit of that. Of Moffat goes, I've had a tremendous idea, blah blah blah. Now you write it, and he's in, and then his name <laughs> ends up on it. Well, it's, it's like like a lot of crime novels I see these days. I see certainly here in the UK. I think it's I can't remember who is. Is it James Patterson, maybe? Yeah, James well, Patterson. It's, it's James Patterson and with, such and such. Yeah, yeah, with this person who actually wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of the big authors do that now. Like with like bloody Tom Clancy, he's dead and he's still writing books. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a workaholic. Yep. Oh dear, I don't know. So I mean, um, I think that, but Moffat kind of strikes me as one of these people who kind of thrives on being insanely overworked. Yeah, I think I think it's sort of like a holiday to him would be sort of like, what's this? You yeah. know, I think I think it's it's just how he rolls, you know. Yeah, I mean, like when I I met him briefly once, and uh, yeah, he did strike me as someone who'd had about fifty espressos, like, like a little chipmunk <laughs> man, like, like that, you know. Right. So, I, unless there's anything else anyone wants to bring up, I think say Rick, we we do um we do some scores for every episode. So if yeah, you will I'm, join us, I, I have not missed one. Uh, aside from not listening to the to the season preview, I have not missed a show. Or you, <laughs> I, so... I love this show. I, <laughs> seriously, you guys, you guys go, you guys, and Atomic Trivia War go to the top of my queue, no matter where I am in my podcast listening when a new show comes out. Oh, thank you. Bloody hell, what is wrong with you? Anyway, so. Um... <laughs> Um, no, I mean, because just a sidebar on that, it kind of struck me because I listen to podcasts to go to sleep. Not that I find you boring or if you're if, you're, if I listen to your episodes, not that I'm like, oh, you know, maybe go to sleep. It's, it's something that I, I can't go sleep in silence. I have to have to listen to something. So there's I listen to podcasts to, to drift off and I thought, I wonder if anyone does that to me. And now I find that weird. <laughs> anyway, I can't I can't do that. I, I, I can't even work when I'm listening to podcasts aside from if I. You know, stuff like mindless stuff, like cutting the grass or doing doing the dishes or something like that. Housework, yes, but like I can't listen to a podcast at work when I'm doing work because mm-hmm. then you I end miss up the writing podcast. down what they're saying. That's what I do. <laughs> 
Um, no, I, I listen to music when I'm writing, but everything else I, I listen to podcasts like when I'm, like say, doing chores or um, you know baking and walking around the streets and things like that. It's mostly my podcast listening time, you know, and bedtime. But anyway, sidebar apart from that, right? Let's so let's do some uh, <laughs> let's do some scores. So we'll do Face the Raven first, Rick. Uh, uh, what, remind me what your, is your your scale is out of five or fifty? Ten. Uh, ten. Ten. Okay. Wow, I was way off. Um, ten being good. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, Face the Raven. I would give a our our seven point five. I would give it a nine. Okay. I think I'm going to split the difference between the two of you and call it an eight. Okay. <laughs> uh, Heaven sent. Ten. Ten. Yeah. Ten. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> nice. And Hellbent. <laughs> Um, well, I have to say, I think I've revised my opinion up a little bit, because when I first like, watched it, and they had the whole reveal about Clara sort of, well, she's still technically dead, but she's sort of like, she's sort of got, got to get a jail-free card for a little bit. But actually re-watching it, I sort of don't mind it, so I'm going to give it, I think I'll give it an eight. I I'm going to go nine. Mm. And I'm going to say... Yeah. I, I'm gonna say nine as well, actually. Okay. I'm I'm gonna say ten. I uh, I think that uh, I cannot think of a single thing. You know, face the raven. I like like I said before, the beginning of it was just kind of standard Doctor Who, and so nothing particularly. That's why I gave it a fairly low score because it it mm-hmm. wasn't until Clara's death that the episode really did anything <laughs> exceptional for me. Um, I would I would like to have docked Heaven Sent for the ending, but the ending was what it had to be. I just so loved everything else in the episode that going back to the normal Doctor Who universe was a bit of a letdown. Uh, so I'm not going to dock it because of my preconceptions. Um, and I cannot think of anything in uh, Hellbent that didn't work beautifully. I've, I've got to give it a 10. Okay. I think the only problem I had with Hellbent is like when they came up with things like with oh how did Galfrey get back oh it doesn't matter never asked it's like I don't I don't expect them to give it an explanation but I think when it's so casually just like ah whatever hand wave yeah well the the whole Galfrey trapped in the painting or at the end of t- that that whole thing hasn't made sense <laughs> since they started it anyway so <laughs> you know the fact that the crack in space was all it took was Clara shout or Amy shouting into it or you know none of that shit made sense so <laughs> all right all right for uh, okay I'll tell you what uh that and the fact that the sliders were nothing more than than just set pieces and absolutely had no effect we'll g- I'll give it a 9.8 how's that <laughs> <laughs> the system is ruined um Cool. Um, so, without further ado, uh, that brings to a close another season of Doctor Who. Bloody hell, it went quickly. Twelve mm. weeks just went. Whew. No shit. Yeah. Yep. All my hopes for a Detroit Lions back-to-back playoff playoff making years evaporated. <laughs> Doctor Who over. My life. At, at, at least we don't have to wait like three months for the Christmas special like last year. 
But absolutely, um, the Christmas special is a mere uh, few days away now. Well, a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, about, about two two weeks in a two bit. And a, two and a bit weeks. So um, those of you like me who haven't done any Christmas shopping yet, fucking get ready because <laughs> we're time it's nearly time again <laughs> for Christmas. Um, so yeah, we will see you all again. We will see you again uh, to review the uh, Husbands of River song. Is it called? Yes, it is. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, so without further ado, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Rick. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for indulging me and letting me come talk to you guys. I love it. Yeah, we'll have you back anytime, mate. So uh, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Emma. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Bye.